Welcome to The Glow Show from Grow Lab Organics, hosted by Charlie Lyons. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I hope everyone is doing well. I can't believe we're already halfway through the year. I mean, time is flying by and so much to do. And there's not a hell of a lot of time to do it. So whatever you're doing, make it count. But before you get to that, for the next 60 minutes or so, it's time to settle down, relax, Get yourself a drink or whatever else you're doing and get set for another journey into the power of cannabis. So many of you know, Glow, my company exists to serve our patients. We talk to them daily. They're engaged with us in every way. The cannabis community faces so many different types of illness and condition. And the plant is just one tool in the kit for many of those who have to manage their health, wellness, well-being on a daily basis. We're always in discovery mode and we're learning about how cannabis can help people live a better quality of life. Uh, we have a lot of work to do to keep learning and keep discovering uh, about the amazing potential of this wonder plant. You know, one of Glow's values is uh, always learning, never stop learning. That's because there's just so much to understand and so many different people to understand it from. And that's an ongoing daily challenge that we uh, walk into with open hearts and open minds. And throughout this season, we haven't actually spoken to any patients yet. So it's about time we put that right. Ethan Stewart is a complete inspiration. If you have read his story or know anything about him, you will know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, you're about to learn how powerful this plant can be when it comes to treating life-changing illness. When people go through these moments where you get diagnosed with something or you learn something about your body, which is genuinely life-changing, it's very easy to slip into a negative, low-vibration state. And that often can be how many people start. But what is so inspiring about the community and so many people that we speak to is there is a different path. And Ethan is one of the main people that I've spoken to that definitely chose that different path, a high-vibration, positive and proactive approach to really, really difficult news um, he researched a lot about himself, about what he was facing, and he decided that he wanted to charge headfirst into the conditions that he faced with cannabis, uh, of course, after checking with his physicians. Uh, but he took his health into his own hands. He used cannabis as a way to bring him back from almost certain death. It's pretty powerful stuff. I think it's important to note that cannabis is, is not a silver bullet. You know, Ethan would be the first person to say that. But in this instance, it worked. And what you're about to hear in the conversation that follows will explain that. I've spoken to Ethan before today because he helped Glow in some early research into how people are using cannabis as medicine. But today, we're going to be digging deeper into his story. And I think you're all going to love this one. So, Ethan, welcome to the Glow Show. It's great to have you on. It's been a while since we last spoke. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. I would love to just kick off with you know you and your journey. You've had a, an incredible journey with cannabis, and many uh, of our listeners will know your story. I've referenced it before, but for those that don't, I wondered if you could just sort of slow time down for us and take us back through your your journey because it's it's pretty incredible. Yeah, so I'm I'm 44 years old. Just before my third, yeah, right around my 
34th birthday or so, I had some real health struggles. I was a pretty healthy, hard work and hard party and hard living type of dude. And it kind of been ignoring some of the warning signs for a while, but ultimately I got diagnosed with MS. And then nine months after that, they found a baseball sized tumor on the head of my pancreas uh, and I was diagnosed with, with stage four cancer. And yeah, that was, you know, almost a decade ago. And cannabis has been a big part of kind of how I've been getting through before getting into that. I I think some context is important. Cannabis has been something that has been in my life in a variety of ways, way before being a sick person. You know, I, I was curious about it as a kid and all my cultural heroes uh, were pretty cannabis savvy folks, you know, people I looked up to professionally and personally, people like Hunter Thompson and, you know, like kind of, I write for a living. And, and so I wound up smoking pot by myself in an outdoor shower in the dead of winter on Cape Cod when I was like 13 or 14, you know, like yeah. I wasn't, I didn't steal the weed from my parents or anything. It was just pure curiosity. And then when I went off to college, um, four or five years later, I don't know why, but I went and got a quarter pound of marijuana before heading to college. Why not is the answer you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it is going to be a good way to make friends. Uh, and I wound up being a bit of a drug dealer yeah. during the college years, only working with cannabis, but yeah, it kind of afforded me a way through college yeah. that I didn't see coming. And then, you know, I, I always used it recreationally and then I didn't, you know, professional things got in the way growing up, got in the way, wanting to surf big waves and not just be a total like couch locked individual, you know? So did you just, I, did I, you I, just hard stop? Because obviously you, you know, I didn't hard I, stop, but I just, it just wasn't like, I think everybody at some point, I think graduates from, you know, like wake and baking, um, if yeah. you really get on with, with the, uh, art of living, um, yeah. I think at some point you got to put down the regular wake and bake. And so that start kind of started happening in my early twenties, mid twenties. And yeah, cannabis was something I was never against it. It just wasn't super um, upfront in my life for a Mm. while. And then with the emergence of the industry on the West coast in the United States and California, you know, I started dabbling again with some growing and and found myself growing for some dispensaries and yeah, it was, it was, it, so it was in my life, right? Yeah. And, just, just on that, just to go back to just the formative bit before you, you know, you, you kind of tried to dial down the wake and bake. Were you kind of studying the plant then, or was it more just like, I'm going to buy this and sell it? Um, I, and I'll know, learn, I'll learn what I learned just through my sort of consumption, or were you actually reading or understanding different strains or anything like that? Or what was your kind of relationship from the sort of knowledge side there? Yeah. So like I, I grew, I think I grew my first outdoor plant, like 18 years old or something, you know, this is sort of pre-internet. So it wasn't like I was able to research a ton of stuff. I read high times forever. I was always interested in it, you know, and the plant intrigued me, you know, mm. beyond like just, I, I'd read a book early on is actually a Michael Pollan book called the botany of desire. He's the guy who's kind of famous these days for writing about mushrooms, um, mm. how to change his book, how to change your mind. But one of his first books is called Botany and Desire. And he talks about each section of the book is a different plant or tree or fruit or whatever, some, some growing thing that has a relationship with humans and the sort of two-way nature of that relationship, right? Like, are we growing marijuana? Is marijuana growing us? Are we growing apples or are apples 
manipulating us to grow them, um, things like that. And it's kind of wooey wooey, but it's not because it's also, you know, we are of nature. We're not separate from it. So it makes sense that we have these relationships with other parts of the fabric of nature. And he talks about cannabis. It's one of the things in the book. There's a whole chapter about it. And that really kind of opened my mind to the role that this plant might play in our lives. I didn't have health issues or anything, but I just was like, wow, that's, there's something there, you know, like I'm not sure when some of the oldest archeological sites on the planet are found with charred cannabis seeds in them. I'm really not sure this is something that like I need to take uh, my government's advice on. (laughs) I think this is something that's like, it goes a lot deeper than that. And, uh, and so, yeah, so I kind of felt like almost emboldened by that a little bit like, Hey, marijuana is totally worthwhile. It's been around a lot longer than any of us. And, and, uh, let's, let's see where it goes. So, yeah, I, and I had like strains that I liked, you know, certain things I was always attracted to a certain, I preferred outdoor grown marijuana versus indoors. Mm -hmm. And there were things that like, for whatever reason I liked, and Mm -hmm. I never really, at that time, I wasn't self-reflective enough to ask myself, why do I like those things? Yeah. Uh, but I, I was aware of it, you know, and, and yeah, I was interested in it. You know, like I still have this old copy of the emperor wears no clothes that I got when I was like 19 years old at some used bookstore. And, you know, and so like, I was interested in the social history of it, particularly here in the States, you know, like I, I, I've always been a bit of a culture nerd and, and yeah. it was really, it was really intriguing to me to learn early on, you know, that cannabis was actually this, this is even before medical marijuana was a buzzword, you know, like that cannabis had been this medical tool in the States up until the early 20th century. Yeah. So that was just, it was intriguing. And and generally when people of authority say no about something, particularly when you're 20 years old, you're like, we say yes. (laughs) We say yes. So, So I was, I was curious, you know, I wouldn't say I was very knowledgeable about the specifics of the plant, you know, like, it kind I of is that live in the moment thing of when you're yeah. in your twenties. It, it's 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 rarer that people, when they're out of that age, are really considering and and you know atomizing every aspect of their life. It's much more in that sort of you're in a go with the flow. You know, I'm learning about everything and I'm just sort of you know, taking it as it comes, kind of thing. Yeah, that's it. And then so then you know with the creation of the medical market and the ability to explore it legally, it beca- it, it got a little more intriguing to me, right? Like at a certain point, I wasn't comfortable doing illegal things quite in the same way I had been. And, but with what California was doing, it was like, oh, wow. Okay. So I can, there is a a legal path to this exploration. Um, And were you you living in California at that time? I was, yeah. I moved to California in uh, the winter of 98. Did another stint back in. I'm from New England originally, mm. um, and did a stint back there briefly at the end of the century. But then, yeah, California was full time from 2000 on. And was that by design? Did you go, did you go there for cannabis, or was it? Uh, it was sur- it was surfing motivated yeah. first and foremost. But cannabis was kind of maybe number three or four on the list. I think it was like surfing and girls and weather <laughs> and then weed. <laughs> it's a good list. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it made a lot of sense to 20 year old me. Yeah. So I, I did everything in the industry early on from growing to driving large because there was always, there's these weird rules and it was kind of like, Hey, you can grow it legally, but how does it get to the brick and mortar and get sold to patients? And there was just a bunch of stuff that, that the state hadn't really figured out yet. And, and there was a lot of opportunity for a young guy who, who had the ability to say yes to things. 
But I guess they're still figuring out a lot of stuff with banking still to this day, right? Still to this day. Still working it all out. That's what you guess is what happens when you come out of a prohibition environment (laughs) is right. You don't you don't have the the frameworks and the systems to then suddenly go right naught to sixty in, you know, a year. It takes time, right? It takes real time and real trial and error because all too often the people making the decisions on policy are people who know very little about the actual industry, right? And so they're they're regulating things that maybe don't need to be regulated. They're missing things that maybe need to be regulated. Like, yeah, it's a it's a pretty brutal um, learning curve. And California was the first state in the U.S. to create a medical program, and so that or Colorado might have beat us, but no, Colorado beat us to the legal market, but California beat them to the medical market. That's, you know, when you're the first one in, yeah, it's just, it's a brutal, it's a brutal one step forward, two step back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, that was, I did that for a long time. And and then I fell into doing journalism, traditional mainstream journalism. You know, I covered the Michael Jackson trial and stuff like that. And somewhere along the way, I started writing, you know, as the industry, as the medical marijuana industry grew, I started writing about it Mm because as they say, write what you know. There really weren't many people in traditional print media that were able to have access to the real stories in cannabis. Um, you know, a lot, even to this day, a lot of people are afraid of the sunshine. And mm. you know, when you when you live in the shadows and your whole business is built in the shadows, I don't blame you for being afraid of the sunshine. But it's so yeah, I was able to tell some stories and, and write some stuff that was rang a little more authentic and real and got a little bit of notoriety for that. Um, were you, were you writing for places like high times or was it more like, uh, like I was writing. So I worked at a newspaper in California called the independent for yeah, a yeah. long time. Yeah. Um, and so that, yeah, I wrote for them and I would occasionally write for bigger publications. Um, mm. Generally that was more surf stuff, uh, sport related and environment related. But yeah, I did. I think at one point normal um, sent out a newsletter, you know, calling me one of the best marijuana journalists in the country but that was you know shoots that was probably 15 years ago yeah so i did that stuff you know i was kind of just writing about it and living my life and it wasn't really front and center to me in any way i think i still grew some plants here and there because it was fun and i had my card and it was legal and it's a beautiful plant and everyone Mm. should grow it if they don't totally agree yeah they're going to learn about themselves and their world around them and it's just it's a wonderful experience yeah. And so that's how it was. And off I went into my thirties and got married and, you know, thinking about starting a family and yeah, I'll, I'll have a puff here and there, but it wasn't a big thing. And, and then this big sort of health crisis landed and, uh, I used cannabis pretty early on helping me, um, the drugs they had me on for the MS early on. It was just huge, basically just super powerful steroids. Yeah. Uh, it just got me all keyed up, you know, like you're just, when you're running 60 megs of steroids a day through your body, you're just, yeah. and, uh, and cannabis helped. It helped, helped me get a little sleep, you know, it helped me chill out a little bit and tone down the intensity that, that yeah. a bunch of pre- so it was kind of quality of life stuff to start with. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, totally. And I had a lot of pain too. I had these lesions in my cerebral spinal fluid. I had complete blockages in my T8 to T10 in my spine and it had caused all sorts of just nastiness and, and cannabis helped, you know, like I could take a little puff and suddenly I felt energized to go and do that physical therapy that I was being asked to do. Or yeah. maybe I take my dog to the beach and instead of just walking and moaning, next thing I know I'm jogging, you know, for five mm. minutes, 
credits. And it's like, wow, that was totally only possible with a little help of marijuana. And did, did you know what you were specifically consuming when that was happening? Were yeah. You- yeah. At that point, right. I'd been a educated consumer for a while. And mm. in the context of California, you know, there, there was no shortage of options. Yeah. Like I had a pretty strict approach to what I liked to smoke, you know? Um, yeah. So that's, you know, I was picking things at that time. I was still pretty like Indica sativa guy, not a big fan of hybrids just because mm-hmm. I get a little confused on them. That's changed over the years. Now I really understand terpenes a lot better. Mm. Um, and I find that ba- picking my flower selections based on terpenes and cannabinoids is actually a much more effective way to kind of have my consumer experience um, match what I'm looking for, mm. as opposed to just being like, what's the most THC in the sativa and get, you know, like, that's just, that's not, that's not a path to actual medicine. I was actually going to ask you about that, but maybe as we're on it, we could, we could come on to that now because, you know, we seeing minor cannabinoids and terpenes are, are playing an increasing role in treating people as we learn more about them. And, and a lot of the stuff we're seeing when we talk to patients is, you know, they want as much data on the product that they're consuming as possible, which is tell me all the terpenes. What are the major and minor cannabinoids? I just don't, I don't want to know just how much THC is in it or CBD. I want to know, give me, give me as much as you can. So, so you, you've referenced it there. How much importance do you place on them and what can you share with our listeners about your own journey in consuming? Yeah, I, I think, I think absolutely. If you're, if you're looking for predictable clinical results, right? Like you want the same thing to happen to you physiologically, you have to look at the cannabinoids and the terpenes. Um, the way that the terpenes are modulating the experience and impacting the way that that cannabis is interfacing with your body, with your physiology, mm-hmm. it cannot be overstated. It is, I think, the singular most important thing. Like, at least here in the States right now, everybody's got their heart on about THC levels, you know, and breeders are like, oh, I got 31% THC or whatever. And that just totally misses the boat, man. Like that's, if you're someone chasing that and more power to you, if you are, you know, but you're just getting high Mm. and you're leaving a lot of the good stuff behind. And, you know, like that's the beauty of cannabis, right? Is, is it can play the role in your life of alcohol in the sense that it can take you out of the moment, detach you from whatever's happening. You know, it can be an intoxicant that's enjoyable, but unlike alcohol, (laughs) cannabis offers a myriad of other health benefits. Mm. And if you can align the strain of cannabis that you're using with some of the health benefits you're in pursuit of, then you're getting a win-win, right? Like if you're someone who's looking to catch a buzz, but you're also kind of downregulating your nervous system in the meantime and helping your GI, well, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. And just on that, because we're, we're way behind, you know, North America uh, over here. And, and a big part of that is, you know, physicians or doctors are often coming into contact with patients who know far more about what works for their body. You know, I've talked to patients before where, you know, they'll go, uh, huge respect to you, Mr. Mrs. Miss doctor. Um, you've obviously spent a long time studying, you know, medicine and all the rest of it, but I've spent the whole of my life studying my body, you know? So like when I'm choosing a strain or consuming something i've probably got a lot more knowledge and it is that um the relationship between sort of patient doctor is one of like well i 
this works, you know, and then take recommendations. Did you find in your experience, because obviously you were a quite a knowledgeable consumer, you really kind of knew what you were looking for from cannabinoids and terpenes, or was it literally like, I'm going to try lots of different stuff to like kind of find the right mix for me? Yeah, I, I kind of felt, so I kind of fell into it a little bit accidentally. You know, I was just using cannabis to help with the MS symptoms, um, mm. help me get through the day type of thing. And then, you know, my cancer was found and that, that changed everything. I've got neuroendocrine cancer. It's the same cancer that killed Steve jobs and Aretha Franklin. And if it's killing people like that, it's definitely going to get someone like me. And so when I was diagnosed, it was a really scary situation. The tumor had actually popped into my duodenum and created an internal bleeding situation. And I was bleeding to death. And the surgery that I needed is a pretty major 12 to 13 hour surgery at that time. Um, it's called a Whipple and it's a big deal. Uh, and, uh, it needed to happen kind of quick. And so it was, you know, that first summer, the summer of 2013, that the cancer was found. You might not have been a, a bad betting person if you bet it, if you bet on me not living at that yeah. time. Um, and, you know, they talked to my wife about me, maybe not making it through the summer and I was really sick and I needed this surgery just to have a shot. So I kind of just cannabis wasn't even in the picture at that moment. It was just like, whatever docs, like, tell me what to do. Who's the mm -hmm. best doctor in the world for this? How do I get to see him and just try to go down that path. Um, I made it through those narrows, which I think is such an important aside here, but it's it, for anybody listening to this, who is freshly facing a really important, serious, scary diagnosis. You just feel like the walls are closing in on you yeah. and you have to survive those narrows, that narrow first moment mm -hmm. to be able to have all these options we're talking about. In that moment, did you put your faith and trust in the physicians and the doctors, your team? Or I did. You, yeah. Yeah. I had no legs to stand on. Otherwise yeah. I was a 34 year old recovered surf addict, <laughs> you yeah. know, like who, who wrote about environmental issues for a living. I didn't know anything about whipples or tumors mm -hmm. or, you know, like, yeah, I had to, I, for me, I had to find the best, you know, yeah. and then once I found the best, I surrendered my body had other things to do at that time. Sure. Um, yeah, of course. And so yeah, I, I surrendered to them, got through those narrows kind of got through to the other side of that, really started to assess what it was I was up against. They told me after my first surgery, like, oh, we think this was a success. And then four months later, we found out I had tumors all over my liver. It was kind of in the months after that, as I started to fully understand that there, especially at that time, there was no treatment for my cancer. Um, traditional medicine didn't have a chemo or a radiation that actually worked for my cancer. Mm. Um, and it was growing and spreading. And I knew enough to know that if I wanted to stick around at this party, I better start helping myself a little too. Mm. And you know, luckily I I'm a person who had for the previous 10 years been doing investigative journalism, you mm. know, and I, I know how to talk to people and ask questions. You got to work. I, yeah. And, and I made myself my own research project. And, and because I'd been in cannabis in so many different ways over the years, I'd always heard these stories, man. Like you'd be sitting around at a trim table or something, you know, and there's like a bunch of random people meeting each other and trimming weed for 12 hours and you're all bullshitting. And, and you'd always hear these stories like, oh yeah, this guy, he had colon cancer, or he had prostate cancer, or my wife had breast cancer and, you know, they used cannabis and they've been in remission for five years or the mm. tumors disappeared and you'd hear this shit. And like, 
I just always kind of took it with a grain of salt. Um, like it was something that you could easily dis. like, it was just like, yeah, man, we all tell some tall tales at the trim yeah. table. But a few of them over the years, he kind of stuck with me a little bit more. And maybe it was just because the people telling the stories, I, I knew better. Um, and so I believed it a little more. And so I, I decided, you know, here I am. Western medicine doesn't have a quote unquote cure for me. Uh-huh. Um, what is it? You know, like, why has this plant been in my life for so long? Maybe there is something there. Wouldn't it be a shame to not look into that? Um uh-huh. And so, yeah, I reached out to a few of the people that I, you know, heard spin some yarns about it over the years. I, 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 I'm seeing like, by the way, small segue, I'm seeing a, a new content series for you, Ethan, as tall tales from the trim table. <laughs> <laughs> you just round them all up. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of them, man. And oh, there's man. probably more being told right now. Yeah. So you hunted so, them yeah. down. I hunted down a few people and a couple of them were totally real, man. I remember this mm. one woman in general specifically that was like, holy cow, like she, it was the real deal, you know, and they'd all, all the people who had these stories, it was always, it wasn't smoking marijuana. It wasn't eating brownies. It was using what, you know, some people call Rick Simpson oil. Yeah. Or so. Yeah. You know, like full spectrum cannabis, you know, cannabis oil. And so I was like, huh. So there's a commonality, right? All these stories, whether they're true or not, the, the common thread is they're using this version of the plant, this full extract of the plant, it really wasn't around on the, and like the consumer marketplace, you know, and just some medical dispensaries, you might be able to find it, but not very common. Um, cause it's wildly potent and yeah, it's just, in, it's intoxicating in a way that it really doesn't lend itself to uh, super fun usage. Mm. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I'd heard about it. And then finally this one, this woman that I connected with who had been go home and die breast cancer, basically type of situation. Uh, yeah. Like we've done everything we can for you, ma'am. Sorry. She started using RSO and that was like almost 10 years prior to her and me talking and she was doing great. And her doctors considered her a miracle and blah, 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 blah. You know, she was a total straight shooter, man. There was no wooey wooey in her. You know, she wasn't like gazing at crystals and talking about weird shit. She was mm-hmm totally sober just like yeah man mm-hmm. this is what i did and and more to the point she was like and i told everyone in my life i was starting a new radiation so they'd all support me because my god it knocks your fucking socks off mm-hmm. uh, and she's like you know like i needed a meal train i needed to not work for two months like i really committed to it as a medicine as opposed to just kind of like oh yeah i've got cancer i'm doing this i'm doing that and i sometimes smoke a joint at night like it was no no like it's a very specific approach yeah. um And so, yeah, I think it was probably three years past my initial diagnosis. My oldest daughter was just about to turn one year old. I'd found out that my cancer had like rapidly expanded in between scans in about a three month period. Uh, And we were waiting to get into a clinical trial actually for a type of test that is now a mainstream approved test. But at that time in the States, it wasn't available. You had to be in a trial to get it. And I just felt like I was going to get that scan and then there was going to be a surgery on the other side of it. And that was going to be about a six to eight week period that I just have to be waiting um, for, you know, insurance approvals and all these different things. And looking at my 10 month old daughter, that just wasn't an option, man. You know, like when cancer is in you, you really feel like the house is burning down. And I just didn't think that hanging out for two months doing nothing. Wasn't the best use of your time. (laughs) 
Yeah. It wasn't the best use of my brain, you know, like, yeah. like, like, never mind. Like, even if what I was trying wasn't going to work, at least I was trying. And for me, you know, life begets life, you know, like I, I, I don't tell people I'm trying to be cancer. I'm just trying to grow life, man. So how do I grow it? Like I grow it by choosing new things. And, and so, yeah, I, I talked with my, I go to Stanford university, Stanford hospital um, in Palo Alto, California. And, you know, I remember asking my team there, like, Hey, I'm while I'm waiting, you know, I've got this background in cannabis and I've talked to some people and it seems like there might be something there. Could I pursue it? Or is that going to fuck me up? Like, is that going to fuck up what you're going to try to do to me? You know, is that going to make me not be able to have the surgery or go in this trial or whatever? And they were kind of lukewarm about it. They weren't necessarily, they didn't tell me no, um, but necessarily like, yeah, like it was kind of like, well, you know, there's really not much research there. And but no, if, if you're just using flour, you know, like that's not going to mess us up. That's, that's mm. natural. And mm. it's really, it's not going to, it's not going to create any situation in your life where you're going to like not have access to some other treatment because you tried cannabis. And yeah, so I went after it. I went after the full spectrum cannabis oil as hardcore as I could. And it definitely was a part of. Did, did uh, you did you make it, or did you just buy it? And so that first that first time, I had someone make it for me. Yeah, um, I have made it since. Uh, mm-hmm. But that first time, it was just a regular, you know, like alcohol extract, um, full spectrum cannabis oil, and you know the the loose protocol um, that is all over the internet, and you hear like in wives' tales and stuff is like sixty grams in sixty days or less. And for people keeping score at home, that's an ungodly amount of marijuana when you consider how much flour it takes to make one gram of oil, to consume 60 grams of full spectrum oil in 60 days, you, you couldn't smoke that much weed in a year or in that same, you couldn't smoke that much weed in that same period of time. Mm. Even if you were trying, even if you're getting paid a million dollars to do it, you couldn't, yeah. it's just that volume of flour is massive. Um, and yeah, I dove right in. I, I, I took a gram of oil on my very first day and uh, I did 60 grams in less than 44 days, I believe, or something like that. Wow. Cause I wanted to get it all done before my surgery. How did it feel? Like what, what happened? Oh God. It just, it just like you're high as shit. I mean, high is not even the right word. It is <laughs> altering. Um, yeah. You know, to hit it that hard, that fast, I, I, nobody should do it that way. You should, you should slow roll into it and just Mm. slowly step up to that gram a day level over the course of maybe a month. But I, I charged it just because I didn't didn't have time Yeah, and I didn't have time. And it was, you know, I also, I'm not afraid of things that are natural in origin. Like, like I understand that nature makes poisons. That's very true and real. And that's why you know about those things and learn about them and avoid them. But we know that cannabis is non-toxic, that you can't overdose on it in a lethal Mm -hmm. way. And so I didn't have any fear in that department. And yeah, I I wanted to charge something, you know, and all this stuff in the Western medicine view shed, I had to wait on so I could charge that. It was brutal, man. It was like, you know, we're talking hallucinations the first few days falling down in the shower crying visualizing my tumors seeing them pulsating um, writing letters to my daughter for every birthday of hers that i wouldn't be alive talking to my wife about who she should consider marrying if i were to die i just went totally fucking dark man and i I think for me that was important Uh, that was something that in the three years previous i hadn't really 
owned the severity of my situation. It was almost like that heavy first on-ramp to the cannabis oil was also something might've been happening on a cellular level, but psychologically it really forced me to look at where I had to do work. You know, that we like to think mind over body and all that shit, but that's just really, that's dumb. Mm. It's the same fucking body. <laughs> and it's all interconnected, right? It's all interconnected, man. And like, if your brain and your, in your cell, like you just, you got to get them all on the same page. And so, yeah, it, it really aggressively pushed me to, to really, you know, look at some of these issues <laughs> and, and think about things that I was trying not to think about and sit in them, not just like let it flash across my brain, but like sit in it for hours. Um, and yeah, really disorienting, you know, like my wife, I remember her saying like, you slept more those first, that first week than I'd ever seen you sleep in your life. I, I was kind of famously not a sleeping person. And suddenly I was 14, 15 hours a day. I was sleeping, um, which, which what we know, right? Like sleep is pretty critical for our immune yeah. systems. And yeah, so like I went hard early, but then after like I, my journal through, it's really interesting because I struggled with the journaling the first five days. And then that next week, um, my journaling got a little more lucid and like a little more on point. And by about the 14 day mark, um, I was emerging. Like I was, I was still doing that same volume of oil, but I wasn't nearly as impacted. So you're building some tolerance. Yeah. Tolerance. I mean, tolerance. And like, I feel like optimizing, like my body was using it the way it needed to be used as opposed to just all going to my head and blowing me out. And by day 16, I interviewed the mayor of Santa Barbara. Like I sat in a room and interviewed the mayor of that city for over an hour. And she had no clue that I was on at that point. I think I was doing like 1.2 grams of oil a day. I love that way of thinking. Cause as you're telling me the story, and obviously we've talked before and I've read your story in some of the articles, certainly on the independent and all the rest of it, but it's so powerful. Like when you hear it and I, I kind of love the, like, you know, you charged up the ramp and it was the hockey stick was like, Wah. yeah, but it, it's, I, I really love what you say there about optimizing because your body's obviously uh, assimilated the, the oil it's taken it in and it's using it for what it needs and it's balanced and optimized how you can then operate having had a really kind of pretty aggressive start to that process. So it's, it's really. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. And I mean, when we, when you get into what the endocannabinoid system is, right. And how it works in the body and what its role is in the human body. Yeah. makes even more sense, you know? Yeah. So like, I, I'm no doctor, but I like to think that what I experienced at the, about the three week mark was my body was returning to a state of homeostasis that it hadn't enjoyed for quite some time. Just sorry, just touch on the on the um, ECS, the endocannabinoid system. Did you did you know much? Had you obviously you talked about how much of a researcher and you know had you yeah at that point had I you knew, done more it, of your own analysis and learning there because obviously we're still learning heaps about it, right? It's not really yeah. been. Oh man, it's we barely know anything. Yeah, right. And and it's it's so. I mean, the endocannabinoid system was like only discovered incidentally because they were a bunch of stoner scientists were trying to figure out why cannabis made them feel the way it did. You know, mm-hmm. like and 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 now we know it's quite possibly one of the most complex systems in the human body. You know, yeah, like it amazing. It plays a role in all the things we do without conscious thought. Right, mm-hmm. um, our immune system, our digestion, our breathing. It's, it's playing a role in all of that. And so there, you know, I understood that the most direct lever to the endocannabinoid, the ECS, basically the, 
the most direct way to interface with that system from outside your body is with the cannabis plant. And so that was, I understood that my cancer is a hormonal cancer, neuroendocrine cancer is hormonal. So it's working kind of in that curious space of the body, which is very potentially impacted by the ECS. Uh, Let's just say that. And so I, I had an idea that, you know, for my particular type of cancer, cannabis might be a really interesting tool. Yeah. So, and, and then that was also part of the appeal of my, or at least my understanding of why maybe something like RSO works for some people is because it's broad spectrum, it's the whole plan and mm-hmm. it's all just there. And when we're using extracts, right, we're not getting that. Um, even when we're using like one-to-one ratio balanced products, it's oftentimes an isolated THC and a CBD isolate recombined. It's very rare to get the entire plant. And the more we learn about terpenes and cannabinoids, it's really important for that whole plant. Like you're leaving a lot of terpenes on the floor if you're isolating THC, right? Um, We we talked a lot about, about that very thing, which is, you know, we, we, we need to view cannabis as a botanical medicine rather than a pharmaceutical because it doesn't fit in a pharmaceutical box, right? Because yeah, it's adaptive medicine. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, there is a, and we, we we'll talk a little bit about education and the plant a little bit later, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And it's certainly something that Glow believe as well. You know, we're, we're all about, you know, the whole plant and full spectrum. So, so, so what happened then? So like on our journey, we're back in for the, another more surgery. What, what's happened yeah. after your, you yeah, charged, so had you charged surgery, the RSO. And I had a surgery and a couple of interesting things happened during that surgery. One of which was they were unable to find my tumors. Um, the, like it, Typically with a surgery like that, they ultrasound you, you know, they scan you a day or two before, so they have a roadmap and then you go in there and they open you up or they they were doing this one laparoscopically in my liver and they they run an ultrasound wand on you and try to see the tumors. And that helps guide the little robot tentacles that are doing the deal. And they were doing that and they couldn't see my tumors and they just, they weren't showing up on ultrasound. That's not to say that I didn't have them. But for whatever reason, my tumors were presenting with the same density as healthy tissue. And they, the surgeon and kind of a stroke of genius made, and she got lucky with it too. I think it was like a meeting of skill and a little bit of luck. She, she took my most recent scans and put them up on the operating room wall and basically cut blind. She just like used landmarks that she knew in my liver um, to like triangulate in on the general area and cut out roughly an oyster sized chunk of flesh. And then when you cut down the middle of that in the middle was like a pearl sized tumor. And that tumor that she cut out, according to my previous scans, um, you know, a week before, a few weeks, I should say, um, before surgery was 16 millimeters in size, 16 to 18 millimeters in size. What they cut out of me that day was less than five millimeters. And the, the rate of growth, um, the KI 67 index was less than one. It didn't even really register on their scale. So it wasn't really growing. And that obviously is a much different narrative than I had been living because these tumors had just shown up and grown kind of rapidly. So those were two little interesting clues that my doctors weren't necessarily, they were like, oh yeah, that's that's worth noting. But I was like, ah, it's the cannabis man. And they're like, no, like that's not what it is. And, 
look, I can't tell you that that's exactly what it was, but there wasn't anything else I was doing in my life. You know, like I was eating, I had been eating healthy from my MS diagnosis. Like, like a lot of health habits started with the MS diagnosis. And then when the cancer stuff showed up, I just kept them going, you know, like I, I hadn't added anything new other than this full spectrum cannabis oil. Um, and so that was a, yeah, that was a wonderful result. And I went, I did another 60 grams of oil. Like as soon as I was on celebration. Yeah. I was like, man, I got to do another round. Like that clearly helped me in some capacity and yeah, off I went, you know, and, and that, that surgery was 2016 and I enjoyed a couple years of stability. And in fact, I enjoyed several years of stability and then my cancer did come back and a lot of things, I haven't been able to maintain that level of cannabis oil. Like I just can't, you can't do that <laughs> and raise kids and have a career and be a partner. It's just not possible. So I don't know what role that might've played or whatever, but yeah, it, uh, the cancer came back and we went in and we did another surgery. So yeah. Anyways, long story short, I'm sitting here right now, allegedly no evidence of disease in my entire body. I joined a clinical trial this past November, one that I've been waiting for, for a long time. And I actually received a cytotoxic therapy for the very first time. I did two rounds of this new type of targeted radiation specific to my cancer. And the only way I was eligible for this trial is because I haven't had a new tumor in eight years. Wow. And so the way I like to explain it, you know, is like, I don't think cannabis is some silver bullet, but I do think it's a really important tool that should be in everyone's toolbox. Yeah. And I know it played a role in keeping me no new tumors for eight years. Right. That's what allowed me to get in this trial, which now has me in a great place. And I wouldn't have gotten there. I don't believe if I hadn't been using cannabis the trajectory, the narrative of my disease, the way the tumors were growing and flaring and showing up in new places that just stopped. And the primary thing that changed at that time was I was using cannabis in this really specific way. Um, and, you know, I, I figured I'd kind of teased out four specific cannabinoids that seemed to really help me, you know, THC and CBD being two of them, but then CBG and CBN being two of the other ones. Um, and I was doing you know, kind of working with growers to grow a strain of marijuana that really played up those as best they yeah. could. Um, and then I got, as I got more sophisticated with terpenes, um, mercine and lemonine are two that seemed to be really helpful uh, in the tumor world. And so yeah. we started reading those up and then, yeah, I learned how to make my own oil because it's really easy. I would make oil from those flowers and I still right now today, you know, my day started with that oil and I'm not taking a gram of it throughout the nice. course of a day, but I do take oil two to four times a day. And yeah, it's, and I'm going great. You know, like I'm <laughs> aside, aside from stage four cancer, I'm generally the healthiest dude in the room and I do all sorts of physical things. I should add my MS diagnosis. I don't have MS. Amazing. I don't have, you know, my brain, my scan. So MS is an interesting diagnosis. It's a diagnosis of exclusion. So they rule out everything else. And then they're like, oh, and you have lesions in your cerebral spinal fluid and your brain or your optic nerve. It's like lesions in two of those three places and you've got MS. And 
I never filled my prescriptions that they had given me because I was dubious of the diagnosis from the beginning. But whatever it was I was dealing with, all my efforts to kind of resurrect my health have done away with those struggles. And I went in to see a neurologist about four years ago and he was like, well, I can tell you right now, this isn't the guy in my file. <laughs> and I was like, I'm the guy in your file. And like, it's just, I, that's not to say I've cured MS. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that this cannabis rich approach, um, this holistic sort of cannabis rich approach has served me with my holistic health in a way I never could have anticipated. And it, it's, it's pretty cool, man. It's really, it's not, it's well, not I, mean, I, I got to, I'm going to go out there on a limb. And so I think that's the understatement of the century saying it's pretty cool. I mean, I think it's <laughs> inspiring. It is wonderful. It's an amazing story. And, you know, I, I sit here now listening to it and obviously we've, we've spoken about it before, but I, I just think it's incredible, you know, how that's Thank played you. out, especially with the severity of the conditions as well. It wasn't like you had, as you say, if it's, um, you know, taking the, the likes of Steve Jobs and Aretha um, with all the resources that they would have had, you know, especially the Steve story is well documented. It's a really aggressive one, right? So it can be. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting cancer because it, it presents, it's kind of a shapeshifter um, and it presents in all different ways. And yeah, it can be, it's not like, a, so my, my tumor is in my pancreas, right? But I, I do feel the need to distinguish that it's not traditional pancreatic cancer. Um, that one is like all too often you get diagnosed and you're gone within a couple months. Mm. Um, whereas mine's neuroendocrine cancer with the primary in the pancreas. Mm. So it's like a different, the two, the tumors are growing out of different cells essentially. Right. Um, so it can be really aggressive and fast. And then in other people, it can be really slow. You know, it's, a, it's the cancer that killed my grandfather. It's, it's interesting. You know, the more that I've learned about the endocannabinoid system in the years since, right. Cause I've written about this a bunch and had the opportunity to interview a lot of brilliant people on the topic myself. And I have no doubt that for neuroendocrine cancer, sophisticated cannabis medicine can make a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, I have no doubt. And that's not, it, it, it's like, cause with hormonal can with neuroendocrine cancer, you have this cluster of symptoms. It's not like, Oh, I'm just growing a tumor. These tumors often create hormones in your body that um, they have names for, and also some hormones they don't even have names for yet. And like, they're just bizarre things that are happening because you have this cancer. And, and so it causes all sorts of sort of systemic issues for people. And I think cannabis can be really helpful with a lot of those just mm -hmm. simply as like symptom management, you know, like the nausea and the yep. fatigue and things like that. It is, it is a useful tool, man. There's no yeah. doubt. It's, it's yeah. really, it's, and it's a, it's a multifaceted tool, you know, like the ways that it can serve you are so far beyond mm. the traditional narrative, you know, like it's, it's not just about like, Oh, smoke a little weed and get hungry. Like that's a huge benefit, but that's not the only potential benefit. Well, I mean, it's something we, you know, when I think about, you know, Glow's master mission and we, we talked, we touched on this just before we started recording, but the goal of our of us and what we're trying to do is to to help people live better lives because we can't yeah. sit here and say we can cure cancer or we can prevent arthritis these are conditions which will happen there's nothing we can do about that cannabis can't stop them all but what it can do is it can improve the quality of life if you are living with one of one of many conditions and that can be anything from like you said helping you get a better night's sleep you know um activating your appetite you know suppressing nausea 
And then in cases, you know, like yourself, there are benefits which reach beyond some of those basic quality of life things where, you know, you can see tumor reduction and all the rest of it. So yeah. uh, it isn't, it isn't a one size fits all though. Like you said, it's not a silver bullet. It's really tool in the toolbox that you should use uh, as you need for what you're trying to achieve, I think. Uh, but being yeah. open, being open-minded about it is, is the, is the starting point, right? I think, yeah, it's that open-mindedness. And then I think the next step of it is awareness, which is yeah. consuming consciously and actually like thinking about like, what is the effect this is having on me? Mm. You know, like, what is it? I just put it like, do I just go get some brownies or am I like getting something that's been lab tested and analyzed and I know what the product is and I'm journaling and I'm keeping track of how I'm feeling doing this. And then I'm, I'm working with the substance as a result of that awareness. Right. So it's like <clears throat> that way I came at it, you know, that first spring when I was doing over a gram a day, that's not the approach that's appropriate for me right now. Right. Yeah. Like I'm no evidence of disease at this time. Does that mean I stop cannabis altogether? I don't think it means that either. Uh, and so it's like, you have to know how to trim your sales. And I think the best way to start to figure that out for yourself is when you're armed with kind of the lab results on the product that you're consuming, being your own expert, you know, like you mentioned earlier, like you have to be your own expert, your mm -hmm. doctors will always help guide you, but you need to have some self-agency. You got to take the steering wheel. And, you know, and I, I think that's been kind of one of the neat things, at least here in the States, um, there's a few brands that have cropped up that are focused on that. They're focused on like lesser amounts, not trying to give you the 30, percent THC product, they're selling you a breath mint. that's two megs of THC because they want you to actually begin to understand in a more intimate manner, what exactly is happening to you when you consume. I mean, we, we're seeing this a lot, you know, obviously taking the lead from, from you guys over there, but that kind of whole, you know, microdosed go, go, yeah. slow, go low and slow. You can ruin someone's perception and experience with cannabis in one piece of bad advice That's uh, uh with their first you know if you're a bud tender that goes oh try this and someone takes it and it's way too much for them they'll never come back but yeah, you absolutely yeah. can have a customer for life or a patient for life if you have a sensible and measured knowledgeable starting place which is that kind of like start with this and you know we'll work up to some of the more exotic stuff and people may never want to get to that more exotic stuff because well, they may not need to they, exactly yeah and you know if you think about the sort of land races that have grown naturally like as you referenced before you know whether that's buried with tombs or finding seeds all over the world or whatever yeah. it is you know the the strength of those plants that grew in nature would be far less potent than the hybridized stuff that's been you know grown to get you as high as humanly possible so when you're thinking from that you know what how is how is nature growing plants to serve humanity for millennia that has gone by it wasn't to get absolutely blitzed out of your mind it was <laughs> no. it was to just help you with whatever it was you needed the help with right so yeah. i think that you know going back to some of that and being respectful to the plant as well, because it is incredible, is really, you know, important. I think when we are building this, this industry, as we move out of the prohibition across the world, you know, you're up, you're hundred percent right, man. Mm. I mean, that's, that's the truth of it. And yeah. it's, and anytime something gets commercialized, you know, like the pursuit of the highest high 
is part of the conversation, you know, yeah. like that's, that's what happens. I mean, that's why we regulate how strong alcohol can be. Right. Yeah. And, and things like that. So it's, yeah. it's not, it's not unexpected that we're all chasing a high, you know, yeah. but I think it's just, people need to realize what they might be losing. I mean, I, a great example of this is, is just THC, right? Like using THC for pain management. If you take a very small amount of THC, like say two megs, four megs, five megs of THC max, and you've got a bad knee or something that will move the needle on your pain. Your pain will improve. You will not experience your pain in the same way. You up that dose to 20 megs. There's a very good chance you will experience that pain times four. Mm. And like, that's the uniqueness of the way this plant works in our body, right? The endocannabinoid system is so dynamic and we're just at the very first stages of understanding it. And what, I mean, why is it that the CB1 and the CB2 receptors exist on top and bottom, right? Of the cell, like balancing each other. Mm. And then when we're growing our plants, when we breed up THC, we automatically breed down CBD. They're inversely proportional. Why is that happening? It's because they have a really unique role to play. And so when we're using this as medicine, that uniqueness doesn't go away. That slippery kind of result doesn't change just because we're saying, oh, we've isolated this and we know what's in this package here, use it. It's like, no, no, it's still, it's going to behave uniquely in your system. Mm. You need to pay attention to that and get them. If, if you're truly using this as medicine, just as important as the medicine you're consuming is your ability to track it and figure mm. it out. Cause you're getting, you're getting the real time info back, right? Like you're the symptom that you're taking the medicine for is either getting better or worse. And yeah. you have the ability to pay attention to that and think about and learn about what role cannabis is playing. And, and that's why we need more and more observational studies where patients and consumers are contributing back to research because it doesn't fit in the traditional RTC format because then you're back down to the isolating and you're, you're trying to put cannabis in a pharmaceutical yeah. model. It doesn't work, right? So what we need wow. is to say, look, it's a botanical medicine, it's full spectrum, and we need patients and consumers that are using the plant to treat any number of conditions to just replay back to you know the lp or the farm or whatever like how how it's working so that we can continue to build that body of evidence and learn more as we continue to study uh in the coming you know decades yeah um, man and i i think that yeah it's so important that oral tradition around it is so important right now as more patients come into the marketplace and, and try to explore it. And, you know, they come in with their own package of symptoms, whatever they're dealing with, and they need to be able to talk to someone about it. And maybe that someone it's necessary for that someone to have cannabis experience, or at least experience with a lot of other cannabis patients. Mm -hmm. um, because yeah, like you said, you can't just prescribe it and be like, Oh, take your five megs a day and you're done. Like, it's just, it's not, it's not that easy, unfortunately. And, Really, I think that's been one of modern medicine's amazing, man. It's saved my life a few times, but it also has a nasty side effect of kind of turning us into health zombies. And mm. so few of us actually know what it takes to be healthy anymore. Yeah. We just think like, take this pill and deal with, and it'll mask the symptom or like, yeah. I, I, I just, we're, we're so results oriented and we're not very process oriented, but like health is a process. It's a daily expression of how you're living. It's not a destination. Yeah. You don't get healthy and stay there. It's just, it's what's happening on any given day. And cannabis being an adaptive botanical maps right on to that truth, right? It's like, 
cannabis may, for a lot of us, it doesn't need to be part of a daily health regimen, but I guarantee there every family in the world would benefit from having a cannabis product in their medicine chest. That's I mean, my daughter's favorite. growing pains, man. My daughter's growing pains, right? She's seven years old. I can use cannabis cream, like full spectrum cannabis cream on her cramps yeah. and nothing else helps them. You know, she wakes up in the middle of the night screaming with growing pains and mm-hmm. you give her a quick little rub down and it's, she's better and back asleep. But otherwise, what's the alternative? Like giving her some Advil or something like in the middle of the night, waiting 30 to 40 minutes for it to activate. And that's a drug, right? Then her kidneys and her liver have to deal with it. It's like, otherwise I can just rub this hundred percent botanical based cream on your leg. There's no head change. It's not an intoxicant at all. It's just simply helping your aches. Mm. And yeah. That's amazing stuff, man. Yeah. You know, like it's vital that we try to help people understand that you know, you don't have to just kind of manage sickness all the time. If you can unpick and unravel what really makes you healthy, you won't need to do the other, like the, you know, walking around, rattling around with all the pills inside you. If you can actually really focus in on how do I optimize my body, as you said earlier, to be as healthy as possible so that I'm not treating myself as a sick person. I'm actually uh, continuing to um, be healthy and you know manage myself on the health end of the spectrum rather than oscillating towards the sick end of the spectrum and I think yeah that's that's got to be the way to go and it's certainly what we believe and you know you're living yeah. proof of that Ethan you know yeah, I mean I'm a work in progress <laughs> yeah aren't we all? Aren't we all? <laughs> that's it that's that's the and that's the that's the goal is I want to yeah. remain a work in progress you know because yeah. I'm not able to work on it, then something that I don't want to have happen has happened. Mm. You know, it's to your point that you're just making, I, I, and this is not my theory, but it's something that I've heard opined by some really smart thinkers and, and actually by some people that aren't of the cannabis community. Um, but at least here in the States for the longest time, most of our cattle were fed a kind of a hemp based meal. Hemp was part of the diets of dairy cows and mm-hmm. cattle for meat and things like that. And, you know, we know that cannabinoids are fat soluble and up until it was made illegal, the vast majority of our feed stock in the U S at least was being fed hemp based foods mm. and getting digested. And so when we were getting our milk here in the U S in the 1920s, and eating our hamburgers, they were coming with a profile of cannabinoids that had been pre-digested. We were consuming them. <laughs> we were having them in our regular diet. It wasn't part of smoking weed or eating oil or having a vape pen. It wasn't that at all. It mm. was in your day. It was in your milk and it yeah. was in your, your steaks. And, and when that got taken out of the food chain, right? Like, because cannabis was illegal and you couldn't grow hemp anymore. And we had to start feeding all of our livestock corn, GMO corn, for the most part, you know, you get a few decades out from that and you really start to see an increase in a lot of chronic illness. And, and I'm not saying that it's like a smoking gun. I don't think it's a smoking gun, but I do think it's part of a very rich dynamic picture of all the different factors that are contributing to the fact that, you know, at least here in the U S the average life expectancy is going down. Yeah. was way before COVID man. Like that's not a COVID to number. Like that's just a trend in general in this country for a bit. And I, I, we've seen the degradation of our holistic health system. um, And we don't even know enough to fully understand just how fucked up it is. 
And I think that little piece, that one of that, it's just one of many pieces, but that little piece of livestock no longer being fed hemp seed, what has that done to us now that we understand the endocannabinoid system? Now that we under, I mean, come on, man, your mom's breast milk is loaded with endocannabinoids. Like it's one of the, it's the first substance you have. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it helps set. Well, it's why order. you're protected as a bait, as a very, you know, in the most months, one to three, like you don't get sick because you're, you know, yeah. you mother's milk. You right? got mom's like, magic milk, man. Yeah. And it turns out it's loaded with endocannabinoids. And, and so I think we've, we've kind of strip mined cannabinoids from our diet mm. and in, and as a result, likely there's lesser volumes in the breast milk. And you just wonder what that, what that does, right? Like you, maybe you wouldn't see that impact in five, 10, 15, but you get 50 years out from that, yeah. you start to see some real impacts. And, and we know that with other things, just with soil degradation and stuff, we know that like, as it goes further out, the impacts get louder and louder. And so I, I wonder sometimes about what might we be able to remedy for ourselves if we just simply had cannabinoids back in our diet? Mm -hmm. And that doesn't have to be smoking a joint. That can be as simple. I mean, you can, there's a lot of cannabinoids that don't get you high. Yeah. <laughs> there's actually only one that does. Yeah. And, and so it's like all those other ones have an important role to play, man. Sure. They wouldn't exist. They wouldn't exist in this brilliantly dynamic system of nature if they didn't have a role to play mm. like there's no there is no randomness in that sense right like all these elements and stuff they have a role and and i i think that yeah i wonder about that a lot you know and, and i've heard some some folks opine on it and i can't help but be like oh man now that's my type of conspiracy theory <laughs> I, mean, I think it's a great place to wrap this week's show where we can send our listeners off into the ether to consider how they can get more cannabinoids into their diet on a day-to-day -day basis yeah, yeah. More, more terpenes you there don't you it doesn't have, to, doesn't have to come from a marijuana plant they're it's out true, there man it's go, true. go lick a pine tree <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna see that now in like you know around my like town and be people like licking trees uh, Ethan, listen, man, I, I got, I had so many more other questions. I definitely want to do another one of these with you because I just think that we, we could talk for ages. You've got such great views on stuff. I think you yourself uh, are an inspiration for what you've um, achieved through all of the kind of, you've almost been experimenting on yourself. Like you say, your own research project and we are very grateful for it. So I just want to say a big thank you to taking the time to talk with me uh, today and I wish you uh, well. I know you're in Montana at the moment, but I'm sure there'll be some surfing uh, in the not too distant future for you. Oh boy, or or else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, man, let's uh, let's catch up again soon. But thanks, thanks again. Cheers. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Charlie. Nice man. I mean, if that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. Mesmerizing, inspiring, incredible stuff. Wow, just wow. I think we all need a little bit of Ethan's energy in our lives. It's infectious. I wish we could bottle that stuff up. Um, we all know life isn't a straight shoot. We have ups and downs. We face them daily as individuals, as families, as friends. Some are more extreme than others, and some are more difficult uh, than others. But whatever hand you get dealt, life is very much for living. And you can hear, feel, and see that in Ethan's energy. It's, it's mega. I loved it. What a guy. So the final episode of the series is coming up. So stay tuned. We'll be previewing that in the coming week or so. 
Um, I just want to say thank you to everyone for sticking with us along this ride. It's been great to have you and get your feedback, comments, and thoughts and ideas, you know, for guests and topics to cover. Um, we are deeply grateful for all involved. But in the meantime, as always, stay safe, stay well, and I will see you in the future. The Glow Show. We believe in the power of cannabis.